Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. All right, thanks for those voice notes. We get into the second hour of the show. As always, we're talking finance with Brian Hirsch. Brian, good morning. Kathy, good morning, and I see you've left me all alone in the studio, and now you've uh, taken Lebo with you, but I'm in very capable hands in the studio, just a little bit lonely. I, I think that there's a conspiracy, Brian. Definitely. I don't know. I don't know who is working to ensure that uh, we, we don't off. see each other. Yeah. But there's definitely it needs to be investigated. But I recognise the voice. It's definitely you. <laughs> under under Popia, you know, Protection of Personal Information Act. It says you need yeah. to know who you're talking to. So I recognise <laughs> the voice. That's a good one. That's a good one, Brian. So today we're talking about Rudyard Kipling. We are talking about Rudyard Kipling, and for those who don't who know... Is, who is Rudyard Kipling, oh, he's firstly? A, he, he was a great poet, a great writer, and he, he said he, he wrote the, the, the poem, If, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. And I love that quote because it goes on to say, if you, if you, you want to be a man, my son, then you need to understand what you need. It's the most beautiful poem, If. And this morning I want to talk about what I call the deadly sins of investing. Because people, so many of our callers don't realize that when you invest with institutions, when you invest in pension funds, provident funds, retirement annuities, endowment policies, unit trusts, including Satrix, one doesn't really understand what are the underlying, these are what I call the rooms, the rooms of institutions. You can invest in a pension fund, you can invest in a provident fund, and so on. But that's meaningless. It's what are you actually invested in the under, what, where are they putting your money? When you invest in a pension fund, it goes into the pension fund, and then it's invested in channels into different asset classes. And most don't understand the most important thing is how is inflation beaten, and that's the struggle for so many working consumers, retirees at the moment, is how do you keep up with the cost of living. And if you don't beat inflation with your investments, you will be going backwards. So the first important thing is the knowledge of where this money is going. And you're always going to be invested in equities long term. Whenever you in invest in any of these products, they, the institutions themselves take a portion of the as assets, in some cases 50 cents, percent, some cases 60 percent, and they invest in equities. And those equities are both local and global. And then there's some cash, and then there's some bonds, and then there may be some alternative investments and, and property. So it's a spread. But that's how they want to beat inflation over a period of time. It's not about beating inflation on a yearly basis because that's not the objective. The objective is long term. And what mistakes do people make? The first mistake, Kathy, and please stop me at any stage to discuss it. The first mistake is the mistake of fear. And I use an example of when people, if, if people put money on a, on a gamble for 100 rand and they win, how much excitement do they feel compared to if they lose 100 rand? The, the pleasure versus the displeasure. And watching investments too regularly is that fear, panicking when values are down. And as I mentioned, my role over the last 15 months has been very much more as a financial psychologist to stop people panicking 
because my investments are down. And so many people look at the investments because they get statements regularly from the institutions and those institutions give statements from quarter to quarter. And people can see what's happened with the falling rand, which if you've got offshore investments has helped, and with other investments and interest rates going up. So panic when values down is certainly the first, uh, what I would call, uh, sin of investing. The second is a desire to get too rich too quickly. And there's so many schemes coming back on the market offering people unbelievable returns. I just saw one now where they offer you 500 rand, put 500 rand in, and 21 days they'll give you back 3,000 rand. It's rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. It's a scam. Stay away from anything that sounds too good to be true. So the difference between fear and greed, and unfortunately greed is what, it's not about even greed, it's people's need to have a little bit of more money in their pocket because of the difficult times and because of the high inflation. So maybe let's just pause for there for a moment and, and give you a moment to comment, Kathy. All right, this is what I want us to do, Brian. We've got a break coming up, so let's take that break and then we'll get into uh, the next part of our discussion. Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. We continue talking finance with Brian Hirsch. He's talking about the seven deadly sins of investing. Brian, let's go further down that list. Range. I got a little bit asthmatic this morning, so I apologize to listeners. So after fear and greed, then comes ignorance, and it's the ignorance of overestimating your knowledge. It's the ignorance of not understanding the risk you're taking. It's the ignorance of not knowing the big picture of why you're making the investments, and sometimes very important in, in terms of that ignorance is what we call being overconfident of your decisions and not re, and not you know, people like to be on a winning streak and thinking you're a financial whiz, uh, but this can be le lead to very unbalanced choices. So ignorance is probably the biggest reason why so many people make mistakes. Ignorance leads to, am I fearful or am I, you know, or am I greedy? And then it's being stubborn, holding on to investments that have underperformed. You know, people tend to sell winners and they hold on to losers because they think, well, I'm making on a particular investment and I'm losing on this one, so I'll wait for this one to, imp to improve. I don't want to lose on it. Sometimes it pays to cut your losses and say, this was a bad investment. I made a decision. I didn't, un I didn't understand changes in the industries and I didn't want to acknowledge my mistake. So it's very important that to hold on to winners. Winners intend over a long period of time to keep doing better because they know what they doing things to th the industries change for a period of time I mean we saw what happened with technology last year technology came down and there were a lot of institutions saying get out of a lot of these technology stocks well most of them are recovering now and they're one or two that haven't so you need to understand where you need to be and then the, the most important is what we call the herd mentality that's the news you hear on every day and other people's emotional states don't let that discourage you from making investment. Trust your own judgment. And, and, and I always say, seek the advice of a professional. Uh, you know, a lot of people that talk about daily what's happening, they day traders. They watch the markets on a daily basis. Investing is not on a daily basis. Investing is for the long term. 
Um, and the computer companies that, that sell these date, these programs to make you rich, I mean, they sell these programs, that's where they make their money. They don't make money out of what the profits you make. So I, I think this is a lot more gambling. So those really are the very important things that you need to understand when it comes. Firstly, uh, understanding what, where your investments are, the fear, the greed, the ignorance, the stubbornness, the herd mentality, and the confidence that you need when you're making these investments. Because to beat inflation, which is the critical part of any investment program over a long period of time, is to be in a growth investment and probably the majority of working South Africans who have pension and provident funds and those who have retirement annuities and those repeated endowment policies, unit trust and mm -hmm. satrics, are geared and programmed to beat inflation. But it does take time. Brian, as I look at this list, it all has to do with me as an individual, right? And really managing, if not my emotions, my outlook um, in terms of how I approach investing. It can all be very subjective. Uh, and I think a lot of people, a lot of us rather, don't trust ourselves when it comes to investing just generally. So how do I know that I'm not acting out of fear. I'm not acting out of greed. I'm not ignorant. Uh, because you don't know what, what you don't know. There's one main word. What is your objective? What are you trying to achieve? What is your time horizon? It's all linked to that. What you're trying to achieve, because financial advisors today, their training is to assess your needs. You know, a good general will take you where you want to be, and a great general will take you where you ought to be. So the fear and greed is where you yourself want to be. But someone who's in the know and understands your objective, when you tell them and you discuss your objectives, where you are today, what you're trying to achieve, they will set the map for you, and that you may feel uncomfortable, and it may be uncomfortable, some of the journey. But often, you know, you've got a journey, you know, let's use a comparison from Johannesburg to Cape Town. You don't know if you're going to hit a storm. You don't know if you're going to hit roadworks. You don't know if there's going to be traffic. You know ultimately what your objective is, and it's not, it's not deviating from that objective unless there's a major changes in your life circumstances. So when you say you don't know, it's because if you're going to be your own financial advisor, if you're going to be your own lawyer, they say a person who is your own lawyer is a fool, as a fool as a, as, as a lawyer. So all I'm saying to you is you need to... to conduct your business with someone pay that you'll pay a lawyer you'll pay an accountant you'll pay a doctor critical they they do something there and then for you but your financial advisor your financial planner your financial nanny your financial psychologist is there for the long journey with you and sometimes it's not that they don't know what they're doing but on a daily basis circumstances change we don't know what's helping working how, going on globally at the moment the american market has moved up this whole year it looks like like interest rates in America may be on pause. That may be very good for markets. We don't know what's going to happen with Russia, Ukraine. We don't know what's going to happen with inflation. We can't. We 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 know what to expect, but it, it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. So you, the the answer to your question is for someone together with you 
to glean what your objective is and not to take you mm. exactly where you feel comfortable because that may not be the right place. Someone who's got 20 years into retirement who's very risk adverse is going to tell you, I don't want to take risk. But they have to take risk over 20 years because money is going to quarter. The value of money over 20 years is going to be quarter of what it is today. So 100,000 in 20 years' time will be worth 25,000 rand to purchasing power today at a 7% inflation rate. That may sound impossible. So if you want to have the same sort of money in 20 years' time of 100,000, you're going to need 400,000 in 20 years. How are you going to get there? You're not going to get there without taking some risks. But there may be some discomfort during that period. But stick to your objective and have a and, and, and re-look at it regularly, you know, the same way as I talked about the will last week, about how important it is to re-look at your will and to have a will look at your investments objectively look at what, what the, the aspects of need of what you need now to protect your family and protect you from this death or disability or anything to do with health and then look at your investments quite differently to that component all right so so brian you're talking about working uh, with people to help us navigate the space and that's that's one of the avenues that also presents challenges, right? Because half the time, I think the majority of us don't have the kind of money that you know fund managers are looking at um, when when we're talking about investment, unless it's sort of a sitting in a pension fund um, or retirement annuity. So, what must we do? Because that money can still do something for us, but you know, there just seems to be a whole lot of people that, that are left out of um, investments and investing their money. That's a little bit of a fallacy, Kathy, because when you talk about fund managers, you're right, fund managers want billions, but they get their billions by, you know, how do you eat an elephant, bit by bit. That's how they get it. And it's the financial planner who will place that money, whether it be 100 rand or 500 rand a month or 1,000 rand a month or 50,000 or 20,000. They will find the home, but it's not just finding that one piece of the jigsaw puzzle. The financial planner's role is to understand how every piece fits together into the puzzle to make the puzzle congruent. So if you come to me and say, I've got 20,000 rand to invest, my first question to you is, well, where does this fit in what else you've got and what you're trying to achieve and what your objective is? And then they will place it in the appropriate fund to suit your needs and requirements. So the fund manager will receive the money. They're not doing, they, they're doing the investing work, which is behind the scenes. The financial planner, who's maybe going to get half a percent for doing that, it's not substantial if you work it on, on, on you know, uh, on 20,000, they'll get it every year. They've got to provide service for that. You know, it's an amazing thing. Uh, a client will come to you with money and say, where did you get the money from? And you'll say, I sold the property. And they'll say, tell me, uh, what did you sell the property for? And let's use an example of a million rand. And you'll say, tell me, uh, what did you pay the agent? And they'll say, I, paid the, I got a good deal. I paid the agent 5% plus VAT, which means I paid the agent about 57,000 rand. And then you say, well, when are you going to see the agent again? And you'll say, never, because I've sold the property. And I say, and you don't want to pay a financial planner half a percent for looking for advising you. And that half a percent, you will 
It will take 10 years for that financial planner to service you, to provide you with advice on a regular basis, to make up the commission you paid to an estate agent for selling the property. So it doesn't make sense that you prepared, you on a one-off you prepared to pay an estate agent, but on an ongoing basis you're not prepared to give a financial planner somebody. And remember, a financial planner is like a three-legged table. And as you know, with three legs, if one leg breaks, the table falls over. What are the three legs? First, you need to find a capable people. And today, with phase and all the, all the compliance, there are a lot of capable people in South Africa. You want to be compatible. The person understands you, understands your emotion, understands your emotion towards money. And the third leg is you've got to have confidence in that person. As you know, if any of those three legs breaks, the table falls over, and that's when you'll change your relationship. But if those three legs are in place with your financial advisor, work with your financial advisor who you feel compatible with and confidence. And don't be scared to give them their half a percent or three quarters of a percent a year for doing the work. They're well worth it. All right. What are the questions that you have then around investing? Brian is going to be uh, taking your calls after the latest 10.30 news headlines. Talking finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. Well, Brian, this morning, making sense in particular of your investment decisions around your money. The number to dial zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. That's the number to get in touch with our studio line. Of course, there is no question. There's no such thing as a stupid question, right? And I know uh, topics like this can be very intimidating um, for many of us. You know, that's just the reality. But there's no such thing as a stupid question. So whatever question you have for Brian around investing, please uh, use that number, 86 on the WhatsApp line, 614 Brian, I'll kick it off with some of the questions that are coming through on the WhatsApp line. Um, Yash in is asking, good morning, Brian. SA government retail bonds, uh, five-year, 10.5% seems fantastic. I'd like to put 5,000 rand in it. What would you suggest? Uh, uh, yes, I don't know what the minimum is, but I love government retail bonds. 10.5%, five-year. Just remember, banks don't bail out governments. Governments bail out banks. So I don't think there's very, very, little, very much chance of government ever defaulting. Remember, government borrow money internationally. They need to have a good credit rating, and I don't think there's a problem with that. I like it very much. Understand one thing, government retail bonds are ta fully taxable, although if you're under the age of um, 65, you do get the first 23,800 rand uh, tax-free, and if you're over 65, it's 34,500 rand, which is all your interest accumulated, and you get that as a deduction. I do like government retail bonds, and I think it's a, it's a great place to be. Uh, you can also draw income monthly, but you need to put that you need to do that up front and i don't know what the minimum is if you if five thousand is but it's a safe place to be and i think that's a very good return for someone who hasn't got much taxable income because if you're getting you know it's always a question of gross versus net and what i mean by gross is you rate you quoting ten and a half percent that's gross and if you're paying tax you've got to deduct what tax you pay and at a higher rate of tax if you already are getting the rebate of 34 and a half from other investments and you're in a tax bracket of 45%, remember, you're, you're only going to be getting around about 6%, and that's not even beating inflation. So for, for taxable uh, income, ta high taxable payers, you've got to think carefully uh, about that and other alternatives for low 
taxable powers, a great investment. I think it's www.governmentbonds, uh, gov, gov, and you can Google and get all the information you need. Read it up and make sure you fully understand the, the implications and the, and the restrictions, particularly on withdrawing money from a government bond. But I think it's, I, I, it's where, if my, mother, if my mother was alive and she was looking for income, I would certainly at this stage be putting money in there uh, because I think the tax rates are, her tax was very low and I think the rate of interest is beating inflation. All right. Uh, Brian, this one is from Eleanor in KwaZulu-Natal. Good morning, Kathy and Brian. What implications does paying off the house bond uh, earlier have? Uh, should I close that particular account? What are the implications of not closing the account? Okay, well, closing the account is, 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 not, is, is not the right thing to do. You've paid to have the bond registered. You can have it bond. There may be some charges, but always to have it open as a buffer if you ever need further funds. Uh, I think paying off a bond is an excellent idea because if you think about it, with our prime rate at the moment, uh, well, our prime rate at 11.25 and possibly going up uh, in this week, I think tomorrow, the announcement on the 25th and the institutions, uh, the, 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 the players are... In, are, are, are believe that there could be about a half a percent increase. That means bond rates will go up again. I think it's a great return because you could be paying anything between 10 and 11% on your bond and that remembers with off-the-tax rands. So if you put it into your bond, at least you bring it down and and the, and you, it's equivalent of getting a return of 10%. I was just saying to Yash that depending on your tax rate, government bonds is, is a good idea. So I don't want to confuse investing in a government bond versus a mortgage bond but I think it's a great idea to put more money in and whatever you can increase in terms of a bond. Remember, you need to have investments as well because at retirement, there are two components that you need to have in place. You need to have a home paid for and you need to have investments going to give you income. So you can't just pay up your bond. You've got to have other investments as well. And then, as I said, just to add to that, the two other things that need to be in place at retirement, you, don't, you can't have debt and you need to have a good health care program. So, Brian, if your advice is that um, Eleanor keeps that bond um, open, that account open, for how long really? At, at, what, at which point does one then call it and, and close it? When you're satisfied, you don't ever need to make use of the bond again. Because to go and get another bond and register a bond and the cost of registering bond, you might as well just keep the bond open and just leave. And remember, if you, if you, and, and this is just a tip, if you do ever cancel your bond, be very careful because the, the bondholder normally insures the property against fire and other perils. And if you don't have a bond and you've cancelled your bond, you need to make sure that you have taken out the fire insurance with your own insurers. So whilst you've got the, the bond with the, the mortgage holder, the chances are they've got it insured. That doesn't mean, here's another bit of advice, that doesn't mean they've got it insured for the right price because they're only interested in what they are protecting the loan against. So if you've got a property of a million and a half and you've got a bond of 300,000, just make sure that the insured value is the correct value because you don't want to find in the event of a, of a fire that you're underinsured and you having to end up paying anything. And underinsurance means you are not insured for the correct amount. It's not an expensive insurance, but always check. So for bond people who've got bonds, check with your mortgage bond holders what is the insured value. Make sure it's the replacement value for fire. And in, in Eleanor's case, I did, only when, when, when you decided 
I no longer definitely need a bond. I'm going to close the bond. I'm now going to get hold of the title deeds. Remember, when you close a bond, you also need to get hold of the title deeds to keep in your own life file, which I spoke about last week. All right, that's really good advice. I, I wasn't aware of that, Brian. Uh, at least the issue around bonds and, yeah. and especially uh, the, the home insurance as well. Yeah. In case it wants to know, um, as an employee that has to put away their own provident uh, from their monthly salary, which investment channels would you suggest? Well, when you're putting money into a problem fund, as I said, you're drip feeding into some investment. So depending on your age, anything under 50, you need to be growth orientated. And I would certainly be putting it in the, the portfolio. If there's a choice of portfolios, I would certainly put it, be putting it in the growth portfolio of the provident fund. Some provident funds have one portfolio. Others have lifestyle portfolios. If you're younger than 50, you definitely want to be in the highest growth portfolio. Uh, if you're reaching the age of 60, remember, you still need growth because you got life after after retirement doesn't come to an end and inflation in retirement is a lot higher than inflation before retirement although some of your expenses may have fallen away so certainly uh, in, in the in the case of Eleanor where you no not wasn't Eleanor where you mentioned who was the person? What was the person? Kale, Kale in case it okay. in. That person, have a look, depending on your age, I don't know what your age is, but have a look at the problem fund and go, if you're young, into the growth portfolio. Now, the only disadvantage of going into the growth portfolio is if you leave, because you may be leaving at a time when markets are down, but you can then transfer those assets to your own provident fund. It's called a provident fund preservation fund, which just transfers transfers the funds from the pro company provident fund to your own, tax neutral, no tax payable, still gives you the right to withdraw the money whenever you want, but at least you can wait for markets to pick up if your investments are down. So, you, uh, sorry, yeah. Kathy. So, so, Brian, sorry to come in there. I think what Tyler is saying is that he's having to put money away from his salary. So it doesn't sound like his, his company... Office provident yes, fund. It, it, it sounds if he does, Cathy, because he's having to put it away. The company's making a deduction from his salary and putting it into a provident fund. Because an yeah, individual, no, no. An individual mm -hmm. cannot invest in a provident fund. Only companies can invest in provident funds. Pension okay. funds and, company and provident funds are group funds. Retirement annuities is where an individual can invest from their own money into a, into a retirement fund. But for a pension or provident fund, it goes via the company. A deduction made at source before you get paid, it's fully tax deductible in your hands. It's not taxable in the company's hands, and you get the benefit. So, so if his company does not provide then um, that pension as you talk about, his other option is to go for a retirement annuity. Yes, but then there are other choices as well, depending on his tax rate, whether a retirement annuity okay. is the way to go, or tax-free savings, or all the other co common components being endowment, unit trust, which includes Satrix and Senior. Okay, okay. So, so there are a number of options. Kale, you, you sent that question on the WhatsApp line, so please um, do text us if you need any more clarity uh, in terms of what you're actually asking there. In Cape Town, let's go to Deborah. Good morning, Deborah. Hi, 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 I have a daughter, she's 
um, so last month she was only one year old, and now I'm planning to open a savings account or education fund, something like that. What I want to be here, because the one that I got is that they must get the unit trust. But now when I tried to compare, I didn't really understand what's the TR and the management fees and all that. So can you at least advise me on that? Yeah, well, because savings account is going to give your daughter interest. And because, I, I, and because you're probably going to, are you going to invest monthly? Yes, yes. And what sort of money are you talking about? Um, for now, I can go to 1,000, 1. 1.5. Okay. She's also one, and because I'm planning for this high school, and then maybe if, if it's if I can afford high school, then I, I will move it to university. Okay. So then my next question to you is, when do you want to access these funds for your daughter? When do you want to put money away? Uh, for how long? Let's say let's for now it's plus or minus ten years. No, let's say ten years. Yeah. Okay. So, so ten years is yeah. long time out. So the first question you can do is you can take on some risk. In a savings account, you've got certainty and security. You've got no risk whatsoever, but you've got a low rate of interest. In an investment account, in a unit trust, you've got some risk. But if you're putting money in every month, what you're doing is what you call, it's called rand cost averaging. You're averaging out every month the ups and the downs of the market. And over a 10-year period, you're certainly going to be doing better by investing in a unit trust, which in turn invests in, in companies, both local and in international companies. And when you think about global economies and how they grow, the economy itself doesn't grow, the companies grow, and that adds to the economy, to the growth of the economy, how people spend, where they spend their money. So I think on a 10-year time horizon, any time longer than that, you want to be growth invested. I would suggest Satrix or Signia. Uh, uh, I like Signia because they've got global investments, and I think looking ahead over 10 years, I think we will get further RAND depreciation. And let me just qualify that. That's over 10 years. We still may in the short term get RAND depreciation. But over, an, over a 10-year period, we've seen the RAND depreciate by 5 to 6% over the last 30 years. There's no reason why it won't continue. So you're going to get a kicker by having a little bit. So I would be more internationally invested. Have a look at the suite of Signia, spelt S-Y-N-G-I-A, or Satrix. Okay. S-A-T-R-I-X, Google them and go into the international portfolios. Their fees are very minimal. You're going to pay because they're investing the money. The fund managers got investment charges. The fund managers earn money on the profits they make for the funds. And I think you'll do very well over 10 years. Don't watch daily, weekly or monthly. Just keep putting the money away and you will find that you will do far better than savings. The difference between savings is it's money you want to withdraw sooner, and that's sooner than 10 years. That may be the next one to three years. You've got long-term time horizon. Understand anything that period is long-term investment, and that's where I would be advising you to place your money. Okay, thank you. Pleasure. Uh, all right, Deborah, thanks for calling in. Thanks for that question for Brian. Uh, Brian, I've got uh, one. Okay, before I continue with the phone lines, here's a question from Sarah. Uh, my daughter is at Varsity. Rent is steep. Uh, we're thinking of buying a flat instead of paying rent in Cape Town. Would you recommend this? Well, you've obviously done the comparison versus the rent versus buying the property. Uh, it depends in the suburb because the, the characteristic of pr property is position, position, position. Because you know you're buying a property for long term. 
property's got maintenance costs, which rent hasn't got. Uh, you know, your daughter's going to be staying, so you don't need to be looking for a tenant because when you buy a property and you're buying it to invest, you've still got to find a tenant. Tenants come and go. They don't maintain the property. Your daughter's likely. I think a lot of people who've done that over the years, particularly where kids are studying in Cape Town, I've done that. My partner's done that when their children were staying there. I think we've, we've done reasonably well from that investment. It's a good diversification. You've got to calculate how much to put down and how much the, 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 the bond's going to cost you. You've got to add to that rates and taxes and, and any levies in that particular property. If you've done your numbers, I think it's a good option. Uh, bear in mind that you know you don't want to overpay for the property. I think there are good opportunities now to make ridiculous offers, maybe not in the Bantry Bays or Camps Bay or the Bishop's Court or Constantia, but certainly where students are living, uh, I know that properties are not walking out the doors and you mustn't be shy to make an offer, particularly if you're the buyer, uh, the, whatever the agents say you never know why someone is actually selling a property you never know when you can get apartment and sometimes to pay a little bit less in a good area is not a bad idea uh, don't overpay in a poor area uh, if you can help it uh, and don't fall in love with the property uh, when you fall in love in the property you just add you can just add dollars to that to that that heart because <laughs> the minute you love uh, you know you love a property you want it and it's that that changes everything you know I, when I bought properties in my, my own life uh, I take my wife and she starts telling me she doesn't like the light fittings she doesn't like the bathroom she doesn't like the kitchen she's got no intentions of ever living there it's to rent out as an investment and if you can cover the bond and cover your other expenses over a period of time those properties should appreciate although let's make this comment over the last five to seven years South African properties in most of the doldrum areas have not appreciated uh, you've just got to drive around Johannesburg and see the for sale signs and how desperate people are to let a hold of the property I'll tell you of a situation I heard yesterday I don't didn't believe it I, I was absolutely uh, absolutely incredulous this lady has put a home on for sale uh, with a particular agent, she's had 231 hits on looking at the property and she hasn't had one person who wanted to see the property. I just can't believe that, that 231 people if viewed it online and not one mm. person didn't either make a stupid offer because they don't know why someone's selling or even go and look at it. So if that's an indication of what's going on in the market, certainly in Johannesburg, I know Cape Town is always a, is always a different situation, but I still think you can get great bargains. Brian, is the advice don't fall in love with your property? Is that just for investment property or just property that no. one is buying no, for residential darling, purposes? Where are you going to live? But still be careful you don't fall in love with the property because you're always going to overpay if you fall in love with the property. But certainly an investment property. You're looking at an investment property, not because of the light fittings, not because of the kitchen or bathroom. That can be redone. You're looking at it because I can rent this property out and get a return that is better than I can make on other investments. It's also a diversification. That's all I'm saying. Don't, and so often I say to people, don't fall in love because that adds price to it because then you're going to get closer to the seller's mark.
If you're going to mm. make offers and you never know why someone's selling a property, whatever they may tell you, you don't know. They may The bank may re, have uh, called up a, a loan. Uh, they may own other debt. They, you just never know why people are selling. So it's not, there's nothing wrong. I, I've got a, a, a lady who where I sometimes have breakfast and she's wanted to buy a property. And she told me she's seen a property for 850000 She's going to make an offer. I said, but if they're asking eight fifty, are you going to make an offer of eight fifty? She said to me, yes. I said, but you can negotiate. You can offer seven fifty. How do you know they won't take it? She didn't realize that she can negotiate. You certainly can negotiate. All right. Brian, let me take some of the questions for you that are coming through on the WhatsApp line. Uh, let's kick it off with this voice note. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for a great show. Um, I would like to ask uh, on behalf of my mother. She is three years away from her pension. But what we've noticed is that uh, um, she did some debt reconsolidation. Um, and now with the interest rates uh, going up, um, her debts have actually increased in the monthly uh, repayments. The problem is that now she's paying close to 13K as a teacher um, towards um, her debt repayments and would really, sure. really appreciate any form of services or suggestion of a company that could help um, 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 at least negotiate on her behalf for us to actually find assistance um, around that. My worry is that if ever we delay, uh, this could be a problem when it comes to her pensions and um, she's already in deep debt right now. Sure. Brian? Okay, well, well, you can't borrow from a pension to pay off debt. And that's not at this point in time. I and mean, we've got the possibility of National Treasury from the 1st of March 2024 uh, coming up with a system where you will be al allowed to draw money from your pension. We don't know the percentage you'll be able to draw. Uh, the, the feeling is you may be able to draw from one third of what your pension is. Just remember, whatever you take out of your pension today, and you said your mom's three years prior well, when you take when you're allowed to, and you said your mom's three years prior to retirement. Remember, whatever you take out, you'll have less at retirement to give her an income but her debt is probably you know depending whether it's a bond debt or motor car debt or unsecured debt or credit card debt the cost but you can't borrow on a pension fund to do that uh, but in three years time uh, your mom and the only way your mom can withdraw from a pension fund being three years prior to retirement which means she's over 55 I assume that she'll be able to withdraw now from a pension or early retire but that also doesn't make any sense because the cost of early retirement and the cost of withdrawal at this point in time because the markets have been in the doldrum certainly the last few years I would hold on yeah, you can do the calculations that over the next three years your mom's going to pay X but she'll get this amount extra from her pension fund and I think she'll do better in the pension fund by keeping the money there continuing to contribute but to pay off the debt that doesn't help your problem because you're saying she's now struggling to pay off debt and maybe the family can help your mom and she can repay them one day when she retires or in three years time she can repay them uh, maybe they can help her but certainly the answer is she can't get money out of the fund and if she if, if the family can help just to alleviate some of that debt for her she can always repay them in three years time brian if one has gone for debt consolidation right does that um, whatever the, the monthly installment that is agreed on as part of that process, does it go up with uh, interest rates? Yeah, if you is go it not fixed? Is, is it not fixed? No, it's, it's not. It hasn't. It hasn't created 
a moratorium on the interest you owe. It's not as if you can go for debt installment and then interest stops ticking. Now, interest still works. And if it's escalating or reducing interest, that's what the mm. debt's going to escalate at. Debt mm. consolidation is about getting rid of your expensive debt in favor of your more, less expensive debt, your less expensive debt being your bond. But debt consolidation is not taking more money out of your bond and paying off your debt. And now you've now got a bigger bond and you're going to pay that off over the next 15 to 20 years. That's not the debt because you're other debt is not five to twenty year debt. The other debt may be one to five, one to three year debt. Your credit card is monthly debt. So I believe uh, I believe in taking money out of your bond to get rid of high debt. But I believe in carrying on with the same monthly instalment that you would have paid to your other debt to put back into your bond. So in a year or two or three, if you've taken a hundred thousand out of your bond, you've repaid your bondholder the hundred thousand. What you've done is you've reduced your cost of interest over that period of time in because mm. you've got rid of that high debt. All right. M go to Vuyi. Vuyi, good morning. Uh, Brian, please I'll ask you if you can in your program, even if once a month to educate people about the danger of investing on a Ponzi scam and mushrooming in South Africa. The danger of investing in a Ponzi Ponzi scam. A Ponzi scheme. Yes. Yes. There is a popular one. It's a hyperverse, hyper nation and hyper planet and really look. There's a guy in PE in Kabeha, Luka Nozula and the girlfriend, Kanye, recruited people to invest on this scheme, promised a very high return. And then this is a scam. And apparently they are working for the Chinese man, Sam Lee, who lives in Dubai, hiding there, because cannot leave the country. They are looking for him, the whole world. People lost their big money. Right? It's not a joke. When they realized that this was exposed on YouTube by the YouTuber, Danny the Heck, people were admitted, collapsed to the hospital. They lost all their money. And remember, if you are 50 or 50, all your requirements, you said when I had a good return, if you put in the skin, it's gone. How are you going to start? I'm pleased you've raised that because I always make the content uh, whenever I can about Ponzi schemes. If it's true, if it's too good to be true, it is too good to be true. There aren't that many fancy schemes around that uh, that uh, offer uh, high returns. Those high returns are scams, and they've been going on for years. And people all over the world, if I go back. 30 years to Madoff, who was the, the the darling of Wall Street, the darling of so many stars, and it was a Ponzi scheme. So you can only warn people from this program by saying, if it sounds too good to be true, check it out. Stick with brands. Don't go to brands that you've never heard of. You want to know, I mean, if you know, if Alan Gray or Coronation come out with an investment, Momentum, Sunlum, Liberty, any of these companies, you can rest assured. The banks, you know, that you've heard, the, the, bank, the top banks, you can rest assured there's a lot of due diligence, there's a lot of compliance, there's a lot of oversight by the FSB and the financial services industry. But it's these scams, and you're absolutely right. We do keep reminding people on this program whenever I talk about it. I, I even spoke about it this morning in terms of one of the sins is, 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 is certainly uh, what I. What 
what, what I would definitely return is what they called herd mentality, being told about. And that's how these Ponzi schemes come about. People talk about it. I made this much money. Remember, to get a Ponzi scheme going, someone's got to make money. People have to be talking about how much money they've made. And we've got the money. And have you got the money out? Yes. And that then sets the scene for other people to get involved in Ponzi schemes. That's how Ponzi scheme is driven. So thank you for bringing that to our attention again. And I will, as, as often as I can, just mention to our listeners, be very careful. And please, if you are listening and you've got friends who aren't listening, when you're in conversation, you can mention you've heard Kathy and Brian, how, uh, how sad we are that we're so far apart and that we also spoke about Ponzi schemes. <laughs> All right, Brian, let me quickly take Colin. Colin, good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Colin. Brian, uh, uh, I'm retired now 14 years, but now listening to your program, I always hear you saying, uh, you must do this, you must do that, like to the, um, the individual. But now my question is this, Brian, uh, you're working for a big gov- uh, government company, you're working in government, or a big, big company. You're contributing pension every month and uh, provident fund. Now, are you at the mercy of the company investing your money? Because I think, well, in my years, uh, I worked for the government of 45 years. I had no say where my money went to, where they invested. Only I've, I've only got to say now that I retired. I can tell my broker, you know, I mean, I don't like this, I don't like that. And, but if you are in government or a big company, uh, are you at the mercy of those who are running the pension fund for you? Or do they uh, see if it's not good enough, the, uh, the investment is not good in this company, do they swap it around? Or do they just leave it for years and years and hoping it grows? I just, uh, I'll listen on the radio, Thanks, right? Colin. Qu- quickly, because we're running out of time, very simply, let me say this. All funds today have investment committees. And these investment committees are advised by the top fund managers. There are financial advisors involved to introduce fund managers to these different pension funds. They, the trustees themselves, probably don't have that much knowledge on investment, so they outsource it to top fund managers who then, depending on the mix of the scheme and the different the different components, if there's uh, um, age investing, uh, different age stages and what we call stage life investing, in other words, the younger they are, the more growth-orientated you are, but they are run by experts. Those experts know what they're doing. They advise the trustees. So whereas you have no say whatsoever, the trustees are responsible to members being the employees, and therefore they go out and take advice. They protect themselves because they'll admit to you that they don't have the knowledge that the other institutions have. But you are protected because those institutions are doing a good job. And if if they're not doing a good job, the trustees then will call in other companies to come and discuss with them and they may make a call to make changes all right thanks for that uh brian colin thanks for calling in well that brings us to the end of talking finance for today brian i promise next week you and i will be in the same studio same location uh for the segment i'll, I'll try and survive for the next week kathy you just look <laughs> travel safely right, Rebel, take care and thank you to my team here in Johannesburg. Thank you so much, Brian. Talking finance with Brian Hirsch. It's 11 o'clock. Time for the latest news update.